This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program here Monday to Friday, starting at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific. Coming up in hour two, we'll get on the uh, get on the Dallas Seattle page. Allison Lucan, who uh, joins me periodically here on the show, um, analyst for the Seattle Kraken, uh, she'll stop by. I agree with Elliot. I think Seattle's going in there playing with house money, loosey-goosey, here we go. They looked absolutely fantastic, like fantastic on Saturday. They looked so fast. They looked so sudden. And even players, like I have a soft spot in my heart for Jordan Eberle. Always liked him, liked him as an oiler, liked him as a, liked him as an Islander, and then saw that he was, you know, uh, going to Seattle, part of the expansion draft. And you always think, all right, it's a time the career is starting to wind down. He was so good in that game on Saturday. He's been good all playoffs. He's been good, you know, all season uh, for the Seattle Kraken. And there was one moment late in the third. Like we'll focus on the goals, and they were nice. And the second one was an empty netter, and that was all effort. Uh, by Jordan Eberle. But when he was behind that, I think it was like three minutes and 30 seconds left, and uh, Dallas had pulled the goaltender, and Eberle is just trying to chew the clock, just trying to nibble seconds off the clock, and he's lying down. He's got the puck underneath him, and he's trying to make sure that the puck stays underneath him. There's a couple of Dallas Stars players who are, you know, treating him like a pincushion, you know, just jamming sticks at him, and he's just lying there taking it, just chewing seconds off the the clock. I love Jordan Eberle, man. He's such a skilled player. Uh, great, you know, great interview. Uh, wonderful player. Uh, really uh, has, has sort of flown under the radar after uh, after Edmonton. Um, and is a big part of that team. And that is a really fun team to watch. And I think they go into Dallas today. Lucy Goosey, having said that, I don't think it would be a surprise to anybody if Ottinger throws a bagel at these guys and Dallas just cleans them up in game seven because they have the potential to do so. They have the firepower to do so. They have one of the, the one of the best defensemen in the world in Miro Haskinen. Um, you have Jason Robertson warming up now more so than at the beginning of the playoffs and Joe Pavelski. You know what Joe Pavelski does every morning? He wakes up, he puts on his pants and he scores a goal. Sometimes he scores four. Joe Pavelski scores every game. That's almost automatic. So we'll be tuned into this one for sure. Eight o'clock Eastern. Uh, we'll be watching this. It is the Dallas Stars. It is the uh, Seattle Kraken. It is game seven. Eight o'clock Eastern. That one is on Sportsnet. Allison Lucan joins me at the top of the hour. Okay. Maddie Marchese, full-time fill-in host, full-time producer, full-time dad, and uh, on Friday, cautious observer of the Maple Leafs Florida Panthers game five. Before we get to some of the clips from today, how was your experience at the rink and how quiet was it when Nick Cousins scored? Uh, first of all, it was the best seat in the house. They aren't kidding about that. Um, I could see absolutely well, everything. Popcorn row. Wonderful. Yeah, it was, yeah. it was pretty good. I didn't have any popcorn, though. Lots of coffee. Um, but it, like... <laughs> The, there were points in the game, forget even that closing moment where Nick Cousins scores that goal, but in there were a lot of moments in that game where it was silent. But I have never seen anything like that in a building. I've never been to a building in a closeout game, and to see that mm-hmm. just... It's almost as if before the puck even, even hit the twine that people were exiting the building. It was that fast. Like It felt like it was that quick. So, um, yeah, it was it was something. And, I mean, lots of complaints about the people in the stands. And I tweeted out a picture, like, it's like two minutes into the second period and the first 15 rows are almost bare. Like, it is it is something to behold, especially in a playoff game. But, yeah, it was, it was quite the experience on Friday night. Okay, so closeout day today. Um, and we'll hear from Sheldon Keefe and Kyle Dubas coming up an hour or two at some point. Um, Allison Lucan's going to be dropping by to talk about um, the Seattle Kraken here coming up at the top of the hour. Uh, from some of the things that we heard this morning, whether it's Ryan O'Reilly or Austin Matthews, you grabbed a couple of clips here. Uh, what, what do you want to start with first? Let's start with Ryan O'Reilly because he was brought in to be a real solid piece for them. And, and he spoke about 
just the experience in Toronto playing here and then the group that he came to. So let's hear. This is about a two-minute montage of Ryan O'Reilly. It's very disappointing. Um, you know, to get beat five games like that is, you know, nothing what we wanted. And, um, yeah, we just, you know, we learned that series the way we needed to and established, you know, that physicality and that playoff style. It just kind of tiptoed into it and came back to bite us. Um, Obviously, first game was great. Game two, you know, we threw everything at them. Don't get that win. Kind of dug ourselves a hole, and it was tough to get out of. But, you know, no one in this locker room is happy. Um, you know, we knew, you know, had more for myself. I wish, you know, played better those times. I don't think I created enough out there. But, um, yeah, it's yeah, it's disappointing, though. Ryan, you have I think it's something, um, you know, I'm still, you know, reflecting on the loss and, you know, this coming forward here, I have a lot to think about going, you know, what I plan to do. But, um, you know, this this organization is, is incredible. The, um, obviously, you guys see, you see, you know, the players that they have and such, but the, the people in the organization, you know, every facet that's looked after, the, you know, the strength team, the nutrition, um, you know, everyone, the, the staff is just incredible and the best of what they do and such an amazing place that... Um, I'm so thankful I was, you know, able to brought into it. Obviously, you know, sorry couldn't get the result that we wanted, but um, you know, just to be a part of this organization was an amazing thing. And um, yeah, we've got to, to, you know, have some decisions to make going forward, though. Oh, you can tell it's you know, the core group here. They're close, you know, we're very close, and the pieces that are in here, the way they they lead and and such. Um, from an outsider coming into it, wasn't sure what to expect, but. Uh, I was just so impressed. So impressed by it. Um, it's a very tight group that that works, and they want to win. And um, it's extremely difficult to win in this league, and and especially too with the pressure of this city and the the people of it. It's it's not an easy thing by any means. But you know this this group is very close, and yeah, we'll we'll have success for sure. Um, yeah, it's. It's been so amazing, just like I said, with the organization, with my family, and growing up, and the support that I've had from everyone. Um, you know, I just can't thank people enough in the organization for bringing me in to, to have a run like this and be a part of this group. Um, yeah, it's something I'll you know always cherish. All right, is that it, Maddie? From yeah, Ryan that's O'Reilly? it. Yep. Okay, so a, 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 a few things about Ryan O'Reilly. Um, it's interesting that you talk about how, and players do talk about this, about uh, everything that's provided for Maple Leafs players, um, everything that's provided for hockey players when you play with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, like, you are catered to, like, no other organization in the NHL. You just have more resources. You just have more resources, um, and whether you're a player or whether you're a manager, whether you're a coach, it's tough to even contemplate walking away from all of those things. But sometimes it does have to happen. So with Ryan O'Reilly, see, I think this is I think this is fascinating. So with Ryan O'Reilly, you know, there were there were some certainly in St. Louis that wondered whether he would go back, whether he'd be the rental for the Maple Leafs and then because I don't think that the the St. Louis Blues have any plans about going through some rebuild here. Like they've been doing this, you know, bringing in younger guys, Robert Thomas, Jordan Kyrou, we'll see about Scott Perunovic. Um, they, they've been going through this now for a little while and starting to blend those players in. And I think there were some people that wondered, okay, could Ryan O'Reilly go back to St. Louis? But then two things happened, or I should say two players happened that pretty much removed the possibility of Ryan O'Reilly going back to St. Louis. One, Kasperi Kapanen comes in from the Pittsburgh Penguins. Two, Jacob Verana comes in as well. And that is a cozy combined $5.8 million. Now, I don't think anyone thinks that Ryan O'Reilly is going to get the 7.5 that he's been dining out on lately uh, with his contract, but something lower, that's probably it. Like, I look at St. Louis and I say, well, even if they thought about or people hope that Ryan O'Reilly might go back, kind of looks like Kapanen and Verana have, quote-unquote, his money. So Ryan O'Reilly will probably have to look elsewhere. Don't know that Toronto would be an option just because of the salary cap. You know, I had wondered about Ryan O'Reilly with a team like the New York Islanders. But the team that I re- I'm really curious about now with O'Reilly, I think I mentioned, I did mention this last week. I wonder about O'Reilly with Chicago, Matt. 
You know, everything changed with the lottery last week with the Blackhawks winning. And I know a lot of people find it, and I understand it, completely distasteful. I get it. Trust me, we all do. I shouldn't say we all do. Most of us do. Um, But now that Chicago's going to receive Connor Bedard at the draft, a lot of things change. And you look to bring in veteran players to surround uh, Connor Bedard with. Does O'Reilly to Chicago not make sense to you? It does. The only thing that makes me think that it would like, I mean, from a player and, and what he brings as a, as a professional perspective, it works. My only, the only thing that's holding me back is what does Ryan O'Reilly want in terms of length on a contract? And does he want to spend that length with one team, the Chicago Blackhawks? So it makes sense. But that's the only question that I have because I would anticipate that Ryan O'Reilly's probably looking for at minimum a four-year deal, but probably hinging himself towards maybe a five-year deal. Hmm. Okay, we will see. Um, the other one, Austin Matthews, uh, as Elliot just mentioned a couple of seconds ago, indicating he'd like to stay with the team. Let's let's hear from Matthews here. What do you got, Matty? Let's do it. My intention is to, to be here. I I think I've uh, you know reciprocated that uh, before. How much I enjoy playing here and, and what it means to me and um, the organization, uh, my teammates, and, and how much uh, you know I just enjoy being here. So how important to get that done before next season? Yeah, I, I think that uh, you know it's important, and you know it'll all kind of work itself out in due time, and um, and just kind of go from there. But um, you know as far as Everything else goes. I mean, it's uh, you know, like I've like I've said before. I mean, I, I really do enjoy playing here, and it's it's a true honor. And um, you know, the work that you know we're putting into obviously continue to to strive for that, that end result is uh, you know extremely motivating. Okay, you want to hear my theory? <laughs> uh, sure. I was just talking about being petty a second ago. Okay, uh, I'll just f- focus on AAV. Right, mm-hmm. AAV for Connor McDavid is it's thirteen something, isn't it? Twelve point five million. Mm. Most close. Okay, so He's the AAV starting next season for Nathan McKinnon is I, that one. I know. He's the highest paid player in the league next year, is he not? Twelve point six, not twelve point five. Twelve point six. Twelve point seven, or or twelve point six three four, Jeff. No, no. Oh, oh. You know what? Hang on. I the had Judd Moldaver finish. So this, so yes. It, so his agent is Judd Moldaver, so he likes to have the player's number in the actual compensation. You yep. Know, that's a very that's a very very good point. Um, but I I I I think that it'll be like I'm with Elliot. I think it's a shorter term deal. Maple Leafs fans might want, but it would make sense to Austin Matthews to ring the bell not once but twice. Uh, ring it now uh, when you can. Your 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 first shot coming out of this um, coming out of this uh, deal that you're dining out on right now. But then leave yourself the opportunity when the cap goes up even more significantly um, that you can ring it again. And at at that point, I think that fans would would legitimately wonder if that contract will be with the Maple Leafs or somewhere else. Pulls name out of hat, Los Angeles Kings. I don't know. But I, I think for now, it's, it's going to be one of those deals where, you know, uh, people that hate the Maple Leafs want them to go. They won't be satisfied. People that love the Maple Leafs want them to stay, and they won't be satisfied because it's not going to be long-term. But ultimately, Austin Matthews, will be satisfied here. I think it's a contract that pays them the most of any player in the NHL, even if it's at 12.7 on the AAV with Nathan McKinnon 12.6 and Connor McDavid 12.5. Um, and I think ultimately he stays with the Maple Leafs on a short-term deal. Four years, Maddie. I was actually thinking nothing three. Long, nothing, because, nothing longer than that? Yeah, I was yeah. thinking three because three puts him, he's going to be 26 uh, by the start of this coming season, which means he'll be closing in on 30 by the time that that next deal would be up. So it's mm-hmm. it's tight. And and then 30 gives you one more kick at maybe a five or six-year deal, and off you go. 
and off you go. And uh, off we go because we're uh, we're heavy on time here. Uh, hour one in the books. Allison Lucan, Kraken Studio Analyst, joins me here in a couple of moments. Uh, we'll talk about the Seattle Kraken. Seattle Kraken might be into the conference final against, check notes, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. All expansion final in the West. Again, I'll go back to the point that Amal Delich made on our group chat. Canada wants to win the cup, get an expansion team. Halifax, step up. I want to leave Quebec City out of this because I don't like kicking people when they're down. Saskatoon, you almost had the blues once upon a time. Where are you at? Get the rank. Expansion. Canada. Might be his country's only chance. Allison Lucan coming up in hour two. Talk about the Kraken. Dallas Stars game seven tonight. Kyle Dubas, Sheldon Keefe, media avails as well. America's show continues across the Sportsnet radio network. Simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Plenty more to get to. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. It is indeed, um, but it will be the uh, Kyle Dubas, Sheldon Keefe Show at some point this hour, uh, standing by for... Um, the Toronto Maple Leafs general manager and Toronto Maple Leafs head coach to speak. Uh, we expect that at some point this hour. But right now is going to be the Allison Lucan um, experience here. Uh, studio analyst uh, for the Seattle Kraken. Uh, she's watched and documented all of it. And now she shares all the secrets. Is that right, Allison? Well, Jeff, I mean, we have a segment on our podcast called How Does This Affect the Leafs? But this is a little ridiculous today. <laughs> well, listen, how do, I mean, everything right now is just coming up Seattle. And normally Game 7s are, listen, Game 7s are always fascinating because both teams, although they like to say, oh, no, we're good, we're confident, we're loose, had a good skate, the guys feel good. Everyone goes into these things worrying. Everyone is doing the, you know, Lady Macbeth out damn spot up and down the hallways in the middle of the night, wringing their hands, thinking about, you know, what this this game is going to be like. Except for, I look at this and I say, Seattle must be chill about this. He just had a great game on Saturday, looked fantastic. Uh, Tolvanen was fantastic. Eberle, I thought, was spectacular. Uh, Grubauer makes a great comeback. Uh, wasn't exactly great in Game 5, Game 6, quite the opposite. Does it feel to you like Seattle's going into this thing tonight kind of, I don't know, Allison, how should I say it, playing with house money? Yeah, and, uh, you know, Morgan Geeky said as much earlier in the series. You know, I've I've not had as much extensive play, being around playoff teams as you, Jeff, but this is it's crazy how loose this room is. You go in, even on a game day, they're having fun, they're light, I don't think that they're just happy to be there, but I do think that the energy that they've got as a group and their attitude towards each game in both of these series has been a key reason that they've been able mm-hmm. to play with confidence and shake off the losses when those have come as well. Who leads there? You know, is, is there one person that, that everybody else looks at and says, well, look at this guy. He's chill about the whole thing. We should be too. Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, I think that it's cliche, but it is a lot of the guys who are doing stuff on the ice. We know that Adam Larson is a quiet leader, but he plays so strongly and takes on such minutes that the guys really look up to him. You look at a Jordan Eberle, who, along with Larson, is those are two guys I think the room is really playing for. um, And they've both really stepped up as well. And then, of course, there's Jaden Schwartz, who has just been brilliant this playoffs and I think this is a guy who leads the way and keeping that energy light in the room and I think this is a guy who knows how to deliver important messages without them sounding cliche and the guys really take hold of that as well. Mm-hmm. You know Kevin Bieksa said something sort of tongue-in-cheek but I, I know what he was trying to say um, not that long ago about Yanni Gord. He said you know if you're and I'm going to paraphrase Kevin here if you're paid just to play in the playoffs, like that's where your compensation is, and, and it's not the regular season and the 82 games, he said, Yanni Gord's a $10 million player. 
Like I, I look at Johnny Gord, uh, both Tampa and now with Seattle, and I say to myself, okay, I, I know he's kind of you know sh- you know overshooting this thing to make a point, but he's got a really good point. Like if you're just compensating, like let's say let's say that contracts now are restructured, and you have your regular season salary and you have a playoff salary. When you consider what this guy means to you in the playoffs, and you know right now he should at least be, you know, with all due respect to a lot of other players on Seattle, maybe the highest paid player on the team. I mean, ten million, yeah, not out of the realm of possibility. Even though I think Kevin said it tongue in cheek, I think he's just trying to say here's a really important guy for Seattle, Allison. <laughs> well, Yanni Gord certainly agrees. He'll be sending a thank you note to Kevin. Um, but, you know, I heard, I heard you and Elliot talking about this on your show as well. And, you know, this is a guy who, when you watch him play, you can see him literally exerting his will to pull his team along as much as he can. And he has four goals in this playoffs, but the first two – along with his last two with Tampa, were all game winners. So this is not just a difference maker in terms of what he's doing in the inches, but also on the score sheet. And his line has repeatedly taken some of the tough assignments and kept some of the top players, although they might sit in their own zone a little bit more than they would want, they're keeping them off the score sheet more than they're used to. So I don't, I don't know if, if Seattle wants to pay the 10, but I do think that this is a player who has been <laughs> in so, so, so valuable, not just in terms of tangible things, but in terms of the intangibles, no question. You know, it's it's um it, it's a fascinating lineup, and this is this is a team that's not far removed from essentially everybody being a product of the expansion draft. Um, take us back like a cozy five minutes ago, Allison, when this team was <laughs> was first put together uh, in the expansion draft. You know, I remember like once upon a time, like the um, a, as you well know, and for some of our listeners who might not uh, have been through an expansion before. Traditionally, um, expansion drafts are just there just, just, just to get a team together. And there's not a whole lot of thought put into it because, with all due respect, there aren't a lot of great players to choose from. Now, that changed with Vegas, and it certainly ch- changed from uh, for Seattle. I remember having a conversation with Doug McLean about the expansion draft for Columbus. And I said, you know, what's your like when the expansion draft is done, Doug, what was your number one job? And he said, kind of tongue-in-cheek, but I think he was serious. He said, the minute your expansion draft is done, it's your job to get rid of all of those players so you can start to make your real team. Uh, Not so with Vegas and certainly not so with Seattle. What was the philosophy going in? Like, you're Ron Francis, you know, the general manager, helping, you know, architect, Alexandra Mandricki is going to be a big part of this too. But of all the people that went into making the decisions on the players that we saw at the Seattle expansion draft, like, was there one sort of overarching philosophy, you know, what this group was looking for? Yeah, you know, it's a it's a great question. And, and if, if Ron Francis isn't among the finalists for GM of the Year this year, I think I'm going to have a little rage myself in terms of what he's been able to do. But, you know, mm-hmm. I, last year, even talking about Seattle, the, the parallel I kept making was you bake a cake and you wait to see how it comes out and then you decide how to decorate it and what frosting to put on it. And I think that still holds true to what Seattle did. They made really smart decisions in terms of not overcommitting any huge percentage of the cap to any one player or any one side of the game, if you will. And then they looked and saw what they had. They found a lot of value in the margins. They bring in an Adam Larson who wants to be here. They bring in a Vince Dunn who was obviously yeah. popped this year. And then what they did with that structure is, of course, with the season not going the way they wanted, they gave themselves the biggest budget they could in terms of picks and cap space going into this year. And you watch the moves now in hindsight, and, and they're almost surgical. You know, first Ron Francis and his team, you mentioned Alex Mendricki, of course, Namita Nandakumar and Danny Chu in there as well. But first they go in, sign Andre Burakovsky. They get that steal of a trade for Oliver Bjorkstrand. And again, still cap-controlled, nice-priced players who can produce. Then they do that Tolvanen pickup off the waiver wire, which is, again, a steal. But using all the avenues available to find all the value, and again, still, now we think this is obviously going to change next season, but you look at the contracts and, you know, these are all nice prices and you still have room to grow as your team's window continues to open. Just a brilliant job so far by that front office, in my opinion. 
You know, before you came on, I was sort of opining about my love of Jordan Eberle. Um, I, I know I have a, a, lot, a lot of fun with Daniel Sprong on this team, but man, I, I and and Saturday was such a such a great game for Eberle, and it wasn't even just you know the uh, the pair of goals and that empty netter. Uh, first of all, I think empty net goals were important because they signal that you know you're protecting a lead, and the coach wants you on the ice. Um, but that play where I don't know how many seconds he chewed off the clock, just essentially laying on the puck as every Dallas star player treated him like a pincushion, poking him with stick after stick after stick, trying to trying to get the puck away from him. I don't know that there's really a question attached here, Allison Lucan, other than can you comment on this statement? Jordan Eberle's awesome. Well, it's his birthday today, too, Jeff. So there you go. You've given him a birthday present. Oh, is it? But, uh, oh. It is. It happy, is. <laughs> happy birthday. But, you know, it, it's true. I think that, you know, we go back to that concept of an expansion draft team, quote, unquote, and what kind of players are coming to your team. And maybe that gave Jordan Eberle not enough credit for what he can still do. You know, I look at his creativity and playmaking. I think he was a huge part of unleashing Jared McCann's offense because Jordan Eberle is such a smart passer. Mm-hmm. He can play behind the net so, so effectively. And, you know, you talk about that empty net goal. It was very important. But the first goal, too, you just look, and, and this guy just pops out of nowhere and is like, look, I have really silky hands. Look what I can still do. And I think yeah. he's been so critical to this group. I think he's been critical to the fan base as well. This is the guy and we all know each team has one that gets trotted out after a loss that has to say the thing, that has to calm people down. And, and he's just so good at all aspects of really building this team. He's passionate about making the NHL a prominent subject in the Pacific Northwest. And I think, again, we can talk about so many positives this year, but the veteran leadership of players like Everly, we talked about Schwartz, we talked about Larson. These are the guys that are really steering the ship inside the room and on the ice. Do, do you remember Jordan Eberle's first goal when he played with the Edmonton Oilers was a game against the Calgary Flames. I'm sure you've seen the highlight where, you know, dances guys in the neutral zone, toe drag between the legs, uh, goes around. I think it might have been Mika Kippersoff who would have been the, like, it's a, a beautiful highlight goal. Like a complete, like you see it on the highlights for years and years and years and the fans go crazy and it's the new look Oilers and it's, Jordan Eberle and Taylor Hall and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? And it's it's funny. So a few years ago at the NHL Players Tour in Chicago, we had Eberle on the podcast and I brought it up and he started laughing. And he goes, I'll tell you something. You know, I joined the NHL and I, I, I think about that goal all the time. Because, you know, essentially what it is is a junior hockey goal where the, the, the player tries to go through everybody. It just happened to, it just happened to work. And he goes, he, he, here's what happens to you over the course of your career. If I had that same opportunity now, I would just try to shoot far side and get a rebound to my, to my left winger. He goes, that's, that's the difference. But I was a kid and I was having fun. It worked and it was great. And that that comment really, you know, got me to thinking, like, just how much, you know, just how much, um, how much the game can change you, uh, and and how much it, it is interesting when you see someone like Jordan Eberle on exp- on an expansion team, um, you know, playing with a player like Matty Beniers, who you know might look like he's thirty, but he's only twenty, and I just can't help but thinking, like, when you play with you know, you know, younger players and, and younger kids around because I see almost a different Jordan Eberle. Like, I don't know that I saw this guy playing with the Islanders. We saw him with the Oilers. Do you have a thought on just how, and now we have Ty Karche playing, you know, who's like 20 nothing um, on this team. Do you have a, a thought on, you know, play, playing with younger players and what that's done to Jordan Eberle? Yeah, you know, I think, again, it allows him to round out his game. You know, his I don't have the exact number in front of me, but while his goal production was down this year, his his assist rate, and specifically his primary assist rate, was through the roof. And so I think, you know, we see players evolve the way they contribute as they go through their careers, and, and this is one example of that. And I think that what he can do, too, I talked about his playmaking, and, you know, he's a very creative, very, very smart player. And you look at a player like Matty Beneers and – some of the guys have said that, and they mean this with love, that sometimes Maddie is overthinking things. Well, if you're playing with an Eberly who does the thinking for you and says, just get into a scoring position, 
that can help you as a young player learn the lessons of, of how to really trust your instincts and trust your confidence. And, you know, I think he's, he's done that with Ty Cartier too. We, we are not, of course, privy to the conversations they have, but I think his demeanor is so calming, so accessible, and then what he can contribute to them and allow them to flourish with total humility in his game is what allows them to then build out in terms of not just offensively, but in all three zones. What do you think of Ty Cartier? You know, there's someone that you know people in Ontario who watch junior hockey know has a wildly heavy shot. Like that guy can rip it. Um, what do you think of Cartier? Yeah, I've been impressed. I mean, not just so much as how the kid comes in and meets the moment, right? I mean, comes in for his first yeah. game, his first NHL game, a playoff game, and then scores a goal, which is incredible. Um, yeah. But to stick there, right? You know, Jared McCann is, is back from his injury, and the coaching staff so far has kept him there with Berniers and Eberly, and he doesn't look out of place. You know, I talked to some of the Coachella staff when – he got that call up and they said they've been so impressed by his work ethic, both on and off the ice. This is a guy that people really like to pull for. Everyone knew about his shot. The one, you know, ding that people were concerned about was his skating and he put in work to that too. So, I mean, you can see him out there efforting, but he gets where he needs to be. And he hasn't been consumed by the moment. He's out there throwing his body around, applying some physicality as well. He hasn't just said, I've called up. I have to fill a role of a call-up per se. Um, bright things ahead yeah. for this one. I'll tell you, it's a very impressive start. Has he played? Okay, uh, here, I'm going to put you on the spot. Has Ty Cartier played his last game in the American League? Ooh. Um, you know, it's interesting. I was having a conversation with some people about the Kraken roster next season. I don't know. Um, because I think that if, if this organization keeps around the people who make up their quote-unquote fourth line right now, um, that's a really smart unit, and I don't know if you crack that, um, but this is what training camp is for. I think he's going to be, if he can keep up his work ethic, he's going to be a variable in there in terms of who's slotting in and that, in, in a, perhaps a bottom six role come next season. Um, w- w- one more thing, and I'm going to let you go. I know it's a, it's a busy day. It's game day after all. It's game seven day, so everyone has to go and, and sit and be nervous. Uh, what do you look for tonight, Allison? Like, what's, what's, what's interesting to you about this game? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, this series has been really weird because if you look at the score, it seems like the biggest ping-pong series ever. It's kind of crazy, but the underlying numbers aren't as radical as maybe some of the scores make these games look. So I'm going to be looking for which team is on their game from the start. It's cliche, but it's true. The team that that gets the start and asserts themselves first is usually the team that comes out with this. And, you know, of course, we talk about the goaltending. Ottinger pulled. Um, He always comes back from those. He always wins the game after that. But we'll see if if he He comes back. And then the, the Kraken have got to limit the Stars' rush ability. When the Stars get that rush game going, it's really, really hard to slow them down. So those are probably the three things, start Ottinger and slowing the rush, that I'll be watching. Uh, we'll be tuned in. This is going to be so much fun. Love Game 7s and, uh, and love this series. And, and by the way, just as an aside, aesthetically, the way that these jerseys mix, it's it, like, yes. easy on the eyes. Really yes. nice on the eye. Just watching this thing is is very pleasurable. Okay, um, thanks so much as always for stopping by. Much appreciated. And listen, enjoy the game tonight. It's gonna be fun. Just, uh, I know you're a very professional, Allison. You have a job to do, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but I always encourage people, even though I never follow my own advice, leave yourself some time to enjoy it. It is, after all, just hockey. Thanks as always for stopping by. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. We're looking forward to the magic tonight. Take care, Jeff. Here we go. Allison Lucan, um, who stops by here on a, on a regular basis. Allison Lucan, I should say. Uh, stops by on a regular basis here um, from the Too Many Men podcast. Seattle Kraken studio analyst. Um, game 7 this evening, 8 o'clock on uh, Sportsnet. You can check this one out. All right. I'm going to get on the Edmonton Oilers page here. In a couple of moments, uh, Edmonton bows out. They call it a season after six games against the Vegas Golden Knights. And if Seattle wins tonight, I don't need to tell you how many obvious and, I guess, fun storylines will be written 
there'll be a lot of bitter teams uh, about how the last two expansion teams are meeting in the uh, the Western Conference Final. Uh, more on what that means for the NHL at a later date, maybe after uh, the game tonight. But we'll get on the Edmonton Oilers page here in a, in a couple of seconds. And sometimes when you see a team bow out in the second round, and we all know what's happening with uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs right now, and you know who's not wanted on the voyage and who's going to stay, etc. When it comes to the Edmonton Oilers, uh, I'll be blunt. If I'm Edmonton, it's tiny little things, but you're a good enough team that you run back this act. You run back this show next season. You've still got a couple of years of Dreisaitl and three more of Connor McDavid. Uh, you do something with the goaltending. You, know, you, you try to get you know work with Campbell. I think Skinner is better next season. But if I'm Ken Holland, who's in the final year of his contract as general manager, I'm quite comfortable saying I'm running back the same show because we're still good enough to win the Stanley Cup. Mark Spector joins me now. Mark, how are you today? Oh, pretty good. Jeff, how are you doing? Uh, I'm well. Did the sun come up in Edmonton this morning? <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful day. It's about 28 degrees here and bright and sunny and uh, nice. very nice. Yes, indeed, my friend. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what. Um, you know, so I was mentioning before you came on, sometimes there are teams where you, know, you bow out in the second round, you go out in six games and say, okay, they've got to change this and this and this and this, and everybody has the wish list and this major surgery here, and they don't really have a proper bottom six, and I don't like our, you know, our, our top two defense, and so we got to do something about right. the goaltending. I'll, I'll tell you, Mark, like, first of all, you'll, the Edmonton Oilers lost against a team that might win the Stanley Cup. No shame there. This is, you know, Elliot was pointing this out in the first hour. This is a 5-6. Um, there's, there's, there's no shame in that, in, in losing that matchup. If you're Ken Holland, sure, you're going to make tweaks. Certainly, that's, you know, the salary cap demands it. But I'm really happy if I'm Edmonton just running back the same act. What do you think? Yeah, listen, the orders aren't trying to figure out, like I heard you reference Toronto Maple Leafs, and I know you guys are talking a lot about the Leafs today. You know, the orders aren't trying to figure out how did we lose to Columbus? How did we lose to fourth place Montreal? How did we blow leads to Boston? How did we, how did we not beat Florida? They're trying to figure out why were we, you know, two games short of beating the best team in the Western Conference, right? Why did we lose to the team in the Western Conference last season? Um, so it is different. You know, they've won some series here. They've, they've got most of what they need. Uh, they just fell a little short and, you know, they, there's a lot of upsets around the league this year, but unfortunately for the orders, none of them happened in the Pacific, right? Yeah. They beat a tough LA team, and then their next yeah. their next matchup was the best team in the Western Conference, and they didn't beat them, and they got to figure that out. But they didn't lose to uh, an eight seed here, that's for sure. Yeah. What? Um, again, like I'll keep underscoring this. This isn't about changes. This is about tweaks. You're Ken Holland. What are you tweaking in the offseason with this team? Well, that's a fair question. Like, it's, it isn't much. There's not much you can do. They've got their goalies under contract, Campbell and Skinner. I believe that Campbell and Skinner yeah. will be their goalies next year. You know, Campbell's got four years left. Skinner starts a three-year deal. So uh, those are going to be your goalies here unless you do something really crazy. Um, they're five of their top six guys, McDavid, Drysaddle, Nugent Hopkins, Hyman, Kane, uh, they're all under contract, and they're all pretty good players. I don't need to replace any of them. Kane, I believe, was absolutely, I think his wrist is absolutely no good and, and was barely able yeah. to play in these playoffs. He didn't carry a puck, Jeff. He didn't carry a puck through, through two zones in 12 playoff games. Puck was on a stick, puck was gone mm-hmm. forever. So he was injured, couldn't play. Uh, Hyman was good until he got a, a bad charity horse, and he wasn't so much, he wasn't a lot of very good afterwards. My point is, you're getting better than Zach Hyman for a down low guy. He's an excellent player. I'm not replacing him. So what are we tweaking? We're tweaking Kyler Yamamoto in my top six. If I'm not going to be very productive in the, in the order's top six, that's fine. Right? Most teams don't have six top six players, okay? Look around the league. You don't get six legit top six guys. But if my six guy is going to be Kyler Yamamoto and he's not going to score much, then he better be six foot two or six foot three, not five foot six and not scoring much. So I could replace him. I could find a way to tweak that. Uh, my, you know, I got to find a place for Dylan Holloway next year. He's got to play somewhere. 
you know, maybe that's a, a yep. place where a guy like Yanmark moves on. Uh, but there's not a whole bunch. They don't have a whole bunch of guys knocking at the door. It's time to get Philip Broberg playing on the back end, you know, on a regular basis. But they don't have they don't they neither have a bunch of important guys under uh, with their contracts coming up. Bouchard's one; they'll sign them. And nor do they have a whole bunch of kids banging on the door to get in the lineup. They got a couple of them, so you won't see a much different lineup next year. What, what, what I am curious about a Bouchard deal. Um, defensively, has taken some steps, but still, when we think of Evan Bouchard, we think of running that power play, and now Edmonton has has a heavy shooting option from the top of that power play. What does a mm-hmm. deal for Evan Bouchard look like? Look like to Mark Spector? Well, that's a good question. You know, you're a capped out team, like all the good ones are. Uh, y- you would have tried to bridge him a little while ago, but once you got on this power play. And it got even yeah. better than when Tyson Perry was on it. That probably changed the landscape. If I'm if I'm uh, Evan Bouchard's agent, that made it a little different for me. Sorry, I set an alarm there. Um, so you know what? Like, I think there's I think there's uh, put it this way. If I'm the Oilers, he's a good enough player. I know enough about him. I am very comfortable signing him to an eight year deal if that works in my cap structure. This isn't a guy where I'm still saying, mm, Evan Bouchard, man, I don't know, right? I know. I know what he is. I don't think he's ever going to be Rod, Rod Langway defensively, but he's really picked up his defensive game. He skates very well. He's got a bomb. He runs my power play. This guy can stay around as long as I can yeah. keep him. Uh, however, the cap structure, as they did with Darnell Nurse when he was on his way up, may dictate a shorter-term deal. And, uh, you know, well, I guess that's why the – Kenny Holland gets the big bucks here, right, Jeff? <laughs> yeah. Well, and 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 here you go. Here here's a here's a scenario. I'm curious about this player now. Um, around trade deadline time, there was I'm not exactly 100% sure who the player was. There was a player that Edmonton, a defenseman that Edmonton could have brought in, but Jay Woodcroft was convinced that they could solve the issue internally. And the solution yeah. was Vincent Dernay. Now he yes. loves Vincent Dernay. Uh, had him in the American League. We all understand. We all understand that. What is it? Because you mentioned Broberg a second ago too. What is the future for Vincent Dernay with this Oilers blue? Uh, this Oilers blue line. Yeah, I think Vincent Dernay plays plays for you. I think he stays here. You know, he's. A, I think he proved to you that he can be a very viable third pairing NHL defenseman. You know, he brings something. He's kind of like uh, he brings something to the table, like uh, like Zadorov in Calgary. You know, he makes yeah. you tougher. I know you don't need to be tough that often anymore, Jeff. But when you do, it's nice to have him. Uh, he's the he's a mm-hmm. good penalty killer with a big wingspan. Is he a little big and clumsy? Sure. Do you do you get a little nervous when he gets out there against Jack Eichel? You're darn right, you do. You know, but uh, I come from the school, Jeff, where. My fringe guys, my fourth-line guys, my third-pairing defensemen, they've got to bring something special to the table. They're not going to be great players. If you're a great player, you're not on the fourth line. Now you're, you're a top six or top nine guy. So if, if, yeah. if I've got to put my top six together here, and i got a guy who's six foot six, he's real mean, uh, he defends, you know, he defends okay, he can kill a penalty pretty well, why don't I want that guy on my team? He can play, and he's going to be cheap. He's a million-dollar player. Of course, he's going to play for my team. Yep. Okay, let me ask you about, because I'm really curious about this, and it's not just Dreisaitl and Petrangelo, but the entire handshake line yesterday. So you're there. I'm watching it on TV, and I'm saying yeah, I didn't see the handshake line, so you got to describe is, it to me. Is, okay, well, it, 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 seemed to, it, it, it seemed to me, Spec, like this handshake line is going really fast. Like, these guys, like, okay, let's just get this over with. I don't like these guys. Like, get it over with. This is the protocol. This is what we're going to do. There's there's no, like, you know, a couple of guys will stop and have a chat and pat on the head and tap on the butt. And, like, there was none of that. Like, we saw Dreisaitl and Petrangelo. Like, and Dreisaitl wanted nothing to do uh, with Petrangelo and handshakes. But it, it just okay. looked to me like... They couldn't wait for this handshake line to be over because, you know, we always talk about the Battle of Alberta, and that's much-watch television, and that is historical and four-hour games from the 80s, and we all know about, you know, the uh, the, the legendary brawls. But 
the chief rival is still Calgary, but where do you put Vegas now after what was a really rough, tough, brutal at times, damaging series against the Golden Knights? Yeah, these are they're the best two teams out here for sure in the Pacific. Let's say. Um, so I like this, right? Listen, I'm a sports writer. When the game's over, I'm doing stuff. I'm not watching a handshake line, unfortunately. I've seen very few in my career. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you that right now. You're at home watching on TV. If yeah. I'm on TV, I love the handshake line. When I'm in the rink, I never see it. So sure. I love the fact that you've got a team that says, I'm not here to shake your hand and rub your chest and tell you how great you are. You guys beat us. We hate your guts, and I can't wait to beat you next year. I, got, I, I love that. In the old days, yeah. the Oilers and Flames wouldn't be in the same charity golf tournament together in July and August because they hated each other's guts. And that's some of the best hockey yep. comes wintertime I've ever seen. So I get it. Well, if, I'm, if, I'm, uh, if I'm Leon Dreisaitl, I'm not here to. I'm not here to have Petrangelo tell me, "Gee, sorry, man." There's no sorry there. He lifted his stick way over his head and tried to break my arm. I'm not. I don't want your apology. And if I'm, you know, uh, I, that's how hockey to me. You know, we maybe I'm going to start sounding old here, Jeff. But this thing where they all gather <laughs> after the game and talk with each other and laugh and we're all old teammates and it's the NHLPA and we all love each other. I want a little bit of this back. I want a little bit of, I don't like you anymore stuff. That, to me, it's going to make for better hockey yeah. next year. And there's going to be a next year with Vegas and Edmonton when you look at the trajectory of those two teams. Absolutely. Uh, listen, we'll let you get to it. Uh, another busy day now that it's, uh, the Oilers have closed out. Spec, always a pleasure, man. You be well. Um, we'll chat soon. All right. All right. Thanks, Jeff. There he is, Mark Spector uh, from Sportsnet.ca, covering the Edmonton Oilers. They bow out in six games at the hands of the Vegas Golden. Did anyone else notice that? Like, did you notice that how the how the handshake line seemed to be going? Man, am I like getting into the minutia of hockey here? Did that handshake line not seem like really fast? Like that wasn't just you know gliding through and stopping every now and then. Those are guys like, all right, we're marching through the handshake line. I don't like these guys, and they don't like me. You know, Montreal and Boston used to have handshake lines like that. Anybody remember uh, Lucic and Dale Weist? Dale Weist, rather, specifically? Zoom! Now, I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of handshakes to begin with. <laughs> I tend to do this rant once a year, and here we go. Why not, since we're talking about handshakes? Um, you know, I look at... Um, you know, Stan Makita, the late Stan Makita would always say, you know, I can't shake the hand of a man who just took that same hand, put it in my pocket and took my money. Um, and he always maintained that, you know, after Chicago bowed out against the Detroit Red Wings, you know, uh, one of the points that Makita always made was um, Gordie Howe coming to the Chicago dressing room uh, with a glass of champagne to raise a toast to the Blackhawks meant more to him as a player than a phony handshake just for appearances afterwards. We know all about players that didn't like handshakes. Billy Smith, one of the more famous players, no time for handshakes. I don't judge players who don't do handshake alley. If you're not feeling it, don't do it. Don't just do the performance. I know a lot of guys will just, I mean, what was it that, you know, members, uh, Dino Cicerelli and Claude Lemieux, I can't believe I just shook that guy's hand. Dino, you didn't have to. If you're not feeling it, I'm, I'm one of those people that's not going to judge you if you don't do handshakes. I know I might be in the minority on that one, but I get it. Hey, my buddy John Whaley sends in Jerry Cheevers. There's another one. No time for handshakes. The NHL has been littered with these examples for years and years. So it's, I always found that it's more a catharsis for the fans who, and it's sort of a release valve, like, okay, it's over, we can park it, we don't need to think that these two teams want to continue to tear each other apart in the offseason. There's the handshakes, and so there's that release valve for everybody. That's kind of how I've looked at handshake lines. So if you are someone who doesn't like doing handshakes the end of a series, don't do it. If it's a phony gesture for you, don't feel obliged. 
because there are some people that understand, and I count myself as uh, as one of them. Uh, we'll hit a break. Uh, we are still standing by for Kyle Dubas and Sheldon Keefe. That may not happen until after the top of the hour, uh, but we'll see. Uh, if you're listening on Sportsnet 590, the fan in Toronto, um, Matt Marchese will handle the affairs starting just after the 2 o'clock hour, uh, and we'll get all of those in because no shortage of questions, uh, no shortage of interest about the futures of both the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs and the coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs as well. Let's hit a quick break. Uh, more of the Merrick Show in moments here across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Oh, by the way, Game 7 tonight. Did we mention that? We did. Uh, Seattle and Dallas, 8 o'clock Eastern. Watch it on Sportsnet. Enjoy. Back in a moment. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, welcome back to the program. Glad, um, glad to have you aboard today. It's a rather uh, newsworthy day around the NHL. This will be a this will be a rather newsworthy week uh, around the NHL. Uh, a, a couple of things that I wanted to get to. I'm going to bring Matt Marchese on here in a couple of moments. Um, Arizona Coyotes. So the referendum in Tempe and the pre-balloting is already mail-in ballots are already uh, already in, and I believe the polls close for the referendum on. The, uh, the new arena and entertainment district, I believe the polls close Tuesday night at 7 local. So this is about the new arena in Tempe. I spoke to someone there yesterday who said, look, you, you never know how these things are going to go. But the gauge that they've been using is considering there's already been high voter turnout for the mail-in balloting. He said to me, that's probably a good indication that this is going to go the way that we want it and that the Arizona Coyotes end up getting their uh, arena, practice facility, uh, hotels, retail, sport book, <laughs> keep going. It's an entire entertainment district that they're after here. It's, it's not just an arena. Now, I was also told that that's not going to stop them um, today from trying to make sure that people get out uh, to vote um, uh, to to get the Arizona Coyotes their rank. Uh, I'm told that this afternoon and this evening is like the the last big push, uh, whether it's door to door, whether it's phone calls, whether it's you know uh, using players, every resource possible to try to get people out. Uh, to vote in this referendum to try to get the Arizona Coyotes uh, a new rink in Tempe. Um, And Elliot brought up an interesting point on the podcast that came out this morning. We recorded last night. He said, you know, Logan Cooley, who was their first-round draft pick last year in the draft, you know, hasn't uh, hasn't come out of college yet, playing with the University of Minnesota Golden Gophers. And there is some speculation around the, uh, the NHL that Cooley is waiting to see the results of this referendum. And if it's a positive one, maybe then he comes out. And if it's not a positive one for the Coyotes, then we'll see if maybe there's a different decision uh, from Logan Cooley. Just one of those sidebars to all of this for, for you to consider that it's not just about this one thing, but this you know this issue has a lot of different uh, different tentacles, let's just say. So there's the, uh, there's the Arizona situation. Uh, bids going in today with Ottawa. Unfortunately, Remington uh, and Ryan Reynolds not going to be one of them. Um, but very quietly, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, how the NHL likes to conduct business. And as much as I think the NHL um, enjoyed the notoriety that the Ryan Reynolds bid along with Remington brought the NHL and the attention that it attracted, not just to the Ottawa Senators, but to the NHL. And as much as the NHL may appreciate the notoriety and the fame and the publicity that having Snoop Dogg attached to a bid by Nico Sparks brings them. It's still not a very comfortable way that the, uh, that the NHL has historically done business. If you look at the way that Gary Bettman likes to operate these types of things, he likes it quiet. Quiet. 
really, really quiet. And one of the most obvious examples of that is how the Winnipeg Jets got the Winnipeg Jets 2.0, the squad away from the Atlanta Thrashers. Uh, They almost got the Arizona Coyotes before that. They almost got that team back. Uh, So the history and the legacy would have stayed the same instead of, you know, uh, Howard Chuck, it was Kovalchuk. Uh, but nonetheless, this is how the NHL likes to do business, which is why I, I I think a lot of people are really starting to wonder about the bid from Michael Andlauer. Now, if you don't know who Michael Andlauer is, he's a minority owner with the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, he owns the Bulldogs of the OHL. Um, Steve Steos is his partner with uh, with the uh, with the OHL team. You know, I, I'm i really beginning to wonder, like, listen, the Kimmel family is in on this uh, as well, and that's a very powerful and wealthy family. So we'll see what happens here when the bid's going. But I, I do wonder about the Andlauer bid, you know, the waiting in the weeds bid, the keeping it quiet, doing it the way the NHL wants it, not making uh, a lot of noise, although both the Sparks and Remington group have made a lot of positive noise on behalf of the NHL. Well, I'll be really curious to see, you know, what happens when bids go in today from all the uh, prospective buyers. Okay, Matty Marchese, how are you today, bud? I'm good. I, I need to I need to go back to something you said about Arizona there because I feel like you glossed over it but left okay. me really hanging. Okay. Logan Cooley, if it goes well, he could come out and he said, <laughs> if not, we'll see what happens. And I'm going, well, hold well, on a second. <laughs> Does that mean he's not going <laughs> to sign, period? Like, wait, wait, that's a big story. No, well, first of all, he's he's drafted out of college, so you have four years to make up your mind yeah. on it. And I don't think, with all the respect to Logan Cooley, he's staying four years at Minnesota. Right. Um, I, I just wonder if he, go, if, if he goes back another year until this thing gets settled. Okay. I'm just making sure. Quite, quite frankly, like, like, put, put yourself in Logan Cooley's position here too, right? Are you just coming out and signing and then jumping into uncertainty? Because who or knows you- what's going to happen? If if the vote doesn't, if if the vote doesn't go the way that the Arizona Coyotes want, like if this referendum blows up in their face and they don't end up getting the uh, the arena and entertainment district here, then there's a couple of options. One, maybe you go to the Phoenix Suns and say, "Hey, can we do a deal?" to keep the team here or you relocate. If you're Logan Cooley, are you jumping right into that? Well, it'd just be or like going from do you one take college arena to or another. Or do you take a wait? Well, no, hang on a second. But what I'm saying is you take a wait and see approach. Yeah. Because who knows? Like, honestly, totally like, like this, this is, this is huge. Like we'll, we'll know as early as I think Wednesday morning, what's going to, what's going to happen here. Like, do you not take a wait and see approach? Like what, what, if you're Logan Cooley, what is the hurry? To be honest with well, you, it's May fifteenth. Yeah, there there is no there is no hurry to make any sort of a decision. Um, and if he decides to not go back, well, he's then going to be one of the leading candidates for the Hobie Baker Award. So it's not all bad, and he could go win a national championship, yeah. maybe. So it's not it, it's far from bad, and he's going to go back and he's going to develop, and it'll all be fine. I just think it's. I think that whole situation with Arizona is it's obviously it's been going on forever and it's always interesting. There's never a dull moment, but I look at what they have on the ice and what they're building. And I, I think there's going to be a pretty good team there. It's all going to come down to how long can you keep these guys together for? Yeah. um, You know what I wonder about at what point do you start taking all of this draft capital and turn it into player capital? Like, I know the Arizona Coyotes have, like, a bajillion picks in the next three or four years. Um, every team's only allowed to carry 50 contracts. You can't make them all. <laughs> Arizona has, like, yeah. Like, and, like, hang on. Let me just do a, a, a quick one here. I know this is fascinating. You know, watch me surf or l- listen to me surf here. Arizona I think Coyotes. they have 36 the next Like, when you years. look at their – it's insane. So two firsts this year, four thirds. Next year, they have four seconds, three thirds. Uh, the following year, four more seconds, two more thirds. Like, it's Sounds like a fantasy hockey league. Like it, at, at some point, you want to start turning this into, uh, in, into, in, into player capital. But listen, they have some, 
some really highly regarded the Logan Cooley's tops of the list. They have some really highly regarded prospects. And uh, you have a Clayton Keller who continues to excel and continues to be one of my favorite players in the NHL who had a great comeback season. Like last year when he got that leg injury, when he broke his leg, and Elliot and I saw him in Vegas for the players tour, and he was talking about how he's great, he's healthy. I'm like, I don't know, man. I, I still remember that injury. Um, and I was really skeptical that he'd be able to come back that soon. But then you say to yourself, well, he's 24 years old and he's in great shape, Jeff. He's going to heal a lot quicker than you would if you had the same injury from beer league. Um, some good players there and some great players on the horizon, we suspect as well. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see about Arizona. But, I mean, the, the big hurdle is tomorrow. Tomorrow and then into Wednesday, we'll find out whether they get their they get their arena or not. And if the referendum is no, look out. If the referendum is look no, Maddie checks notes and says, Craig Morgan, you are on speed dial. Oh, yeah, right away. Yeah, Craig Morgan. 100%. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, hey, we got a game seven tonight. We do. We got a game seven between Seattle, and we got a game seven between Seattle and Dallas. I do want to mention, too, for our listeners in Toronto specifically, on 590, top of the hour, Matt Marchese takes over and will stand by for Sheldon Keefe and Kyle Dubas. Their pressers are still on the horizon. It's a busy day in Toronto, Maddie. It's a busy day. It sure is. These are always a producer's nightmare because you never know what's going to happen. But um, I found out that I'll be hosting, so now it's a host nightmare. So there we go. It all comes full circle. Enjoy. Yep. Yeah, uh, but game seven. Game seven. I I, I feel like, and you guys mentioned it, all the pressure is on Dallas here. They're at home. It, you know, some people yeah. say it never should have even gone seven. And Seattle's sitting there going, oh, we're just happy to be here. Not that it changes the way that you play in a sense, but they will play a little bit looser in that. Nobody ever expected that they would get here. I don't think a lot of people after last year's season thought that they would even make the playoffs, let alone be as good as they have been. Yeah, I, I, don't, uh, I, I don't disagree. This is like play loose, play fun, uh, have a good time. Philip Grubauer looked excellent on Saturday. Jake Ottinger, who got chased again, um, did not. But to me, that's the ultimate wild card here. Like, if playoff Ottinger shows up and he's shown us that at times he can be the best goaltender in the playoffs, period, um, then this thing's going to be over because we know the Dallas Stars can score. The Dallas Stars have a lot of different ways to hurt you. And, oh, yeah, the Dallas Stars have that Miro Haskinen guy. I'll be curious to see what they do with the lindell Hockenpah. um combination because it seems as if, you know, Seattle, when they see those two on the ice... Um, they start licking their chops. Uh, I, I wonder if that gets that combination gets split up by uh, by Pete DeBoer tonight. So that's one of those games within a game that you might want to follow along here. Um, but you know Joe Pavelski is going to score because that's what Joe Pavelski just does. He's going to get at least one goal, and then we'll see what happens after that. But I'm with you that the pressure is all on Dallas. Uh, I still think the Dallas Stars have you know a team that could win the Stanley Cup. Um, you know who's been really good too, Maddie, and we've mentioned him a couple of different times. Man, Max Domi's been really good. He has been. Max, you know how players, you know, post deadline move to another team and can really do themselves a lot of good or a lot of harm. Like Timo Meyer moved at deadline, and I don't know that he did much to improve his stock um, for the uh, for the off season, even though he's a restricted. I, I, I and he's got uh, uh, arbitration. I don't know that Timo Meyer did much for his stock, um, specifically in the playoffs, but a guy like Max Domi, like again, I just I mentioned with you last hour, I could see Ryan O'Reilly going to the Chicago Blackhawks in a sort of leadership role there, uh, along with Connor Bedard. Could you not see Max Domi going back too? The organization loves him; he loves Chicago. But then again, if you're the Dallas Stars, do you not say to yourself, "Hold on a second here, we got something." And, you know, one of the things that I mentioned with, with Max when we talked about a month and a half, two months ago when we were in Dallas, Elliot and I, is when did he turn into a veteran? Yeah. I mean, Max it, has kind of been around for a long time here, and I still have in the back of my mind, oh, it's young Max Domi. He's a vet now. He's a real veteran hockey player. 
and a really effective one for the Dallas Stars. I know who I, think, I know the top line's always going to get a lot of headlines. Hayes going to get a lot of headlines, Ottinger and stuff. Max Domi's been real good. He's been excellent for them, Matty. Yeah, and you know what the best thing about Max Domi? Well, he's been this is his eighth season in the NHL, which is so weird to say. I agree, but the thing that I like about Max Domi is he's versatile. He can play center. He can play the wing. He can play a skill game. He can play a nasty game. He can yep. do all of it. And it is interesting. Like, I think there's going to be a lot of suitors for Max Domi because he knows how to play in the playoffs. Hello, Toronto. Yeah, that's a really good one. I was banging that drum around deadline too. Um, no response. Okay, uh, Maddie's going to handle this next. Waiting for Sheldon Keefe and Kyle Dubas, if you're listening in Toronto, on 590. Uh, Meanwhile, thanks to everyone who took part in today's show. Mark Spector uh, from Sportsnet Edmonton out. Allison Lucan, Kraken Studio Analyst. We'll see about the Kraken tonight. And Elliot Friedman, or as we call him, A-Block Elliot. General Nick Lance Kennedy, Matt Marchese, thank you, thank you, thank you. Merrick show back on the air tomorrow, uh, 12 o'clock Eastern. There we go. That's when I show up. 9 Pacific. Enjoy Game 7. Dallas, Seattle tonight.